We've now got the situation where irrespective of whether the end users actually open their emails or not, the act of downloading those images creates the impression that they have. One challenge for marketers is that if you start using clicks rather than opens for split testing, for example, you know, you're going to be working off a smaller data set. Perhaps the conversation is not only about how do we measure engagement, it's almost, you know, how do you bake engagement into your program in a better way so that you know it's happening in the first place. So on today's episode, you're going to learn every single thing you need to know about mail privacy protection and how it affects iOS 5 mail clients for your email marketing campaigns. It's a great episode you do not want to miss, so do stay tuned. Retail and e-commerce have witnessed an unprecedented transformation in the last decade. The widespread adoption of mobile technology, social media, as well as the lowered cost of cloud-based technology have not only eroded the barriers to entry in retail, but it's also led to the rapid rise and dominance of digital native product brands that sell directly to their customers. On this podcast, you'll get the scoop on customer acquisition and retention strategies employed by high-growth digital native product brands. Not being afraid to spend because you know that customer is going to pay it back uh, three or four-fold. That's when you start to unlock channels in the way that they were meant to be used. Listen to interviews with experts at the forefront of technology and innovation in digital retail. Three years ago, they wouldn't have come to us because, yeah, the macro trend of cloud, Wi-Fi, broadband availability, that was a real, that was a real problem. Hear first-hand stories from founders of innovative direct-to-consumer brands. Although I was thinking about the competition, I was more thinking about, like, how do I just build a freaking successful business? We focus on driving as much traffic as possible, converting that traffic, uh, and then dumping money back into driving more traffic. These insights will help you consistently 2x growth in specific areas of your direct-to-consumer brand. This is the 2x e-commerce podcast, hosted by Kunle Campbell. All right, guys, welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast. I'm your host, Kunde Campbell, and this is the podcast dedicated to rapid growth in online retail. Now, every week, we either interview an e-commerce operator or we interview um, someone in marketing or in a SaaS, in an e-commerce SaaS tech business, you know, to come in to share their insights. If you're an operator, you're at the helm of affairs. If you're a marketer, you're helping an e-commerce operator. And if you're a SaaS, you have access to so much merchant data you have insight. So you guys get the most out of, you know, everybody. Now, my ask to you, listeners, my my single ask to you is this. Take one big idea from this episode, from any episode you listen to on 2X e-commerce, test it, and then get back to us. Test it, test it, test it. Nothing we say on this show is just set in stone Fact, 100% fact. Everything should be tested and validated, you know, moving forward and applied to your, um, by your e-commerce team, by your, by, by you operators listening, by whoever is listening really. Now on today's episode, I was joined by a gentleman called Guy Hansen. Now he is from a company called Validity. Now Validity is a, is an enterprise grade system 
that sort of um, works at the data level in terms of validating it. Really, the name the name is in this its function. It's in it, it's is in its name in the sense that it validates customer data merchants own, and then it's able to extrapolate reports deliverability reports um, based off on um, all of the data they have. So they kind of, an ESP or a CDP is sandwiched into their services in the sense that it keeps on validating, um, you know, data, customer data in a bid to improve deliverability, essentially, and then report on that. So they're most primed to talk about Apple's Mail Privacy Protection Update, which is the update that affects all iOS 15 um, clients. And and pretty much, basically, Apple's taken away um, open data and um, pretty much IP address data from um, all marketers that target its Apple Mail, um, you know, app, which is pretty huge in e-commerce. But he he debunks a lot of, um, I would say, non-truths, you know, in these updates. It's a major development in, in, in marketing in, in general. And um, it's, it's, it's worthy to, to listen. This guy knows his stuff. We spent a solid 14 minutes, you know, discussing the ins and outs of, of what's about to happen of, of MPP. It's already happened, essentially. Apple rolled out iOS 15 just last week. Now, a bit about Guy. Guy is a passionate advocate for intelligent use of data to drive effective sales and marketing programs. As Validity's VP of customer engagement, he has worked with major clients across six continents and is globally recognized as an email and data expert and thought leader. He's also a strong believer in giving back to his community and is currently vice chair of the Data and Marketing Association email council overseeing production of acclaimed industry research his trade body creates. I've shared um, links to the sh- in the show notes to, to how to you know reach out to him. It's a if you're into e- email marketing for e-commerce, this episode is worth a listen. So enjoy this interview, and I shall catch you on the other side. The 2X e-commerce podcast is brought to you by Klaviyo, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. Whether you're launching your e-commerce business or taking your brand to the next level, Klaviyo gives you the tools to get growing faster. That is why it's trusted by over 50,000 e-commerce brands like Brooklinen, Non, and Chobbies. Build your contact list, send emails that pop, and create marketing moments that build valuable customer relationships over any distance. Get started for free today. Visit clavio.com forward slash 2x to create your free account. That is K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com forward slash 2x. Shibob is the global fulfillment leader for e-commerce brands like you all. So back in March 2021, they launched their first UK fulfillment center in London. Now fast forward to summer, fall of the same year, 2021, they've opened a second fulfillment center up northwest of England in Manchester. This gives all of Shipbob's clients access to e-commerce markets in the US, Canada, Australia, and Europe. Shipbob offers direct integration to merchants running on Shopify, Wix, BigCommerce, WooCommerce, Amazon, eBay, and Walmart. This quote on their site from Courtney Lee, the founder of Primal Coffee, really stood out for me. 
I felt like I couldn't grow until I moved to ShipBob. And my CPA accountant even said to me, thank God you switched to ShipBob. I mean, who gets compliments from their accountant? Fulfillment is incredibly time intensive. So just hand it over to the best of the best for fast and affordable shipping. To get $500 in free shipping credits today, go to shipbob.com forward slash 2x. That's S-H-I-P-B-O-B.com forward slash 2x. Cloudways has become the hosting platform of choice for thousands of e-commerce merchants, SMBs, and agencies around the globe. Why? Well, there's a high-performing custom stack, top-notch security, the choice between five cloud solution providers, ease of scalability, affordable pricing plans, and so much more. Cloudways also offers support for all PHP-based applications like Magento, WooCommerce, WordPress, Laravel, and other. Experience an unbeatable managed cloud hosting experience with Cloudways today. For a $20 free hosting credit, use the coupon code BOOSTMAG. That's B-O-O-S-T-M-A-G. That's BOOSTMAG. Moving dreams forward, Cloudways. Hey, Guy. Um, welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast. Um, it's a pleasure having you. It's a real pleasure to join you, and uh, thanks so much for the invite. Brilliant, brilliant. All right, let's before we dig into to the meat of, of the conversation, let's just get a bit of an introduction um, about you. Could you take um, you know a minute or or two to, to introduce yourself? Sure. So um, my name's Guy Hansen. I'm VP of Customer Engagement at Validity, and I've spent pretty much my entire working life in the world of data and email marketing. In fact, I actually started out in the retail industry when I still lived in Johannesburg in South Africa, mm. when um, you know mainframe computer installations were still a real thing. And I worked for one of those in Johannesburg. That was the start of my working life. Um, I've now officially been in the world of email marketing for the last 20 years. Um, that goes all the way back to 2001. So uh, hopefully some of these gray hairs count for something when it comes to email Respect. conversations. <laughs> and um, outside of my day job, I've also had a long-term relationship with the DMA, the Data and Marketing Association. I'm currently mm. the vice chair of the email council there. And I lead the working party, which generates a lot of the council's email research at the moment. Mm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And then validity. Um, where, where are you based? Give us your backstory. You seem more like an enterprise, um, you know, um, data solution and, you know, email ESP. Are you an ESP or a CDP? We are neither, but we support both. Um, okay. So I think, think about validity as a leading provider of customer data quality on the one hand and marketing analytics software on the other. We do both. And um, I think as a business, we work with major marketing companies around the world. Um, and we'd, we'd like to think that we're a bit of a, a trailblazer for ethical marketing, you know, sort of working okay. with businesses to use their customer data in a, a responsible and transparent way. And, um, you know, that particularly sort of relates to the way that data is tracked and used um, in a way which sort of customers expect. And, mm. you know, sort of educating and encouraging our customers to do the same. 
So would you plug into an ESP or a CDP? Because you, you, you talked about the data quality piece and then um, the marketing analytics. So it just seems like there's a huge chunk in between, which is, you know, getting emails to getting the emails to, to where they're intended to get to. Absolutely. I mean, it's such okay. a, it, it's a surprisingly dark art, you know, deliverability mm. and, uh, you know, how do you get them to drop? But at the end of the day, there is a strong relationship between having high quality customer data, which mm. those end users engage with and mm. get those two pieces right and have the right insights, you'll get them delivered and you'll get them delivered to your customers' inboxes where they're going to see them and engage with them. Okay. Okay. So you, you ideally just, it's, it's, it's really data quality. Um, and then that plugs into whatever ESP or CDP you have, and then you report on deliverability. So you're validating and reporting and accounting for, for the validation for, for the pretty much performance on validation, if, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I mean, you've pretty okay. much nailed it in one and, um, okay. you know, it, in some respects, it's a surprising conversation. You know, we, we mm -hmm. sort of work with a part of a typical business's marketing program, which, you know, isn't necessarily that high profile. But I think, you know, particularly in terms of, you know, driving, um, you know, using good data to drive effective email marketing, mm -hmm. um, you know, again, sort of coming back to that DMA research, it's popular. It's And it's not just popular with senders, it's popular with consumers as well. I think it's quite a a trusted channel and you know they, they they like it because it's trusted and relevant and that's why they engage with it yeah yeah i'm just looking at the 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 caliber of um you know clients you guys have you have mercedes marks and spencers salesforce t-mobile you know, that you know caliber of um you know um of clientele is is what you're, where you're at okay now um to the meat of the conversation, <laughs> Apple MPP, that's the, for those who, who are not too keen on acronyms, it's male privacy protection. Should we start out this conversation by sort of breaking down what has just happened? Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> I think, um, you know, in, in the world of email, one of the reasons marketers love it is its measurability. And you know, one of the key measures historically has been the email open rate. So that you know, when you send out these marketing emails, there's a measure of did your customers open them with a view to engaging with them. And open rate tracking has been handled by including a very small um, one pixel image in the emails that get sent out. And in exactly the same way that um, all of the other images that are contained in the email get loaded at the point of the email being opened, the act of that one pixel image being called from the, uh, the sender's server basically provides an indication that the email has been opened. And uh, typically, if the email gets opened multiple times, that would be recorded because each time the image is pulled um, would be recorded as an event. Now, um, what Apple have been doing um, with the release of iOS 15 last week, they've introduced this new feature, mail privacy protection. And um, two key things are going on there. The one is that Apple are changing the way that they handle the images in their subscribers' emails. And they are effectively prefetching all of them at the time that the email delivers. And the act of prefetching those emails basically 
fires the tracking pixel. So um, we've now got the situation where irrespective of whether the end users actually open their emails or not, the act of downloading those images creates the impression that they have. So in terms of a metric to sort of measure email open activity, um, it's going to become significantly less reliable because you're going to have the situation where email opens from anyone using the Apple Mail client to view their emails is to all extents and purposes going to be close to 100%. Mm -hmm. The other thing that Apple have done introducing MPP is that they're also obscuring um, end users' IP addresses. So functionality like location tracking, for example, and being able to offer, um, you know, offers which are location specific, you know, so maybe somebody in London receives offer A while somebody in Birmingham receives offer B is going to become a load harder to do as well. So that's effectively what Apple are doing with MPP. Okay, so so two updates. One is just opening up emails, you know, pre pre delivery, and um, well, just firing up the pixels essentially, thereby you know just decimating open, the open rate data, and then the, the other in his IP address masking. They're, they're just hiding it away from from everybody. From a skiller, from a how how significant is this? especially the first one, the open rate, is it in, in how, how significant is this change? Um, how many clients, and this is the, the question I have really is, um, is Apple Mail the, the most used email client in the world? How, w- w- what is its share in, um, in email, in cool. the email world? So, so I think, you know, how significant, I think the, the, the sort of, pragmatic answer is quite significant and um you know there's been a lot of industry commentary over the past few weeks and months you know sort of talking about pixel get and and it's not quite that but it's definitely going to have an impact so you know in terms of um in terms of share of open client i think what's important is that We've got the data to show that maybe sort of 40% of email con- of, of consumers around the world will view their marketing emails in the Apple Mail client. And I think, you know, what's important to understand there is that, you know, these aren't um, only people who use, have an email address with the Apple domain. So iCloud.com or, or me.com, um, a lot of people use the Apple Mail client to view their Gmail emails, for example, or their Microsoft um, Outlook emails. They basically triage them all in the, um, in the Apple Mail client. So, you know, that, that's going to be the, the major reason for the impact. You, you, you could see the, you know, the open rate signal and all of the other signals which are generated by pixel-based tracking, um, mm-hmm. you know, could end up being becoming inaccurate for as much as 40% of a typical email audience. It will vary from region to region, from country to country. And, uh, you know, it's largely going to be as simple as, you know, what percentage of the the population are Apple users. Um, You know, it's high percentage in Western Europe, North America. If you look at countries like India and Brazil, significantly less. So the impact of what Apple's doing with MPP will be significantly less in those regions. Makes sense. So for data analytics platforms such as Validity and also ESPs, 
Um, are you able to figure out um, clients? So when you're reporting back to marketers or you know to to, to your clients, could you definitively say, okay, um, this email was delivered to um, customer A and um, customer A runs Gmail, the Gmail app, or you know customer B runs Apple Apple Mail? Is is that data available to you in, in the email world? It is available. It depends on the way that um, you know senders use their tracking pixels. You can include um, that granularity um, as part of the tracking pixel link. Not mm-hmm. all senders do. Um, you know, not all of them have a requirement to, you know, drill down to that level of detail. Um, but I think, um, you know, what Apple is going to, you know, what what Apple's developments are going to change. Um, is also the granularity of the reporting that's achievable. And, you know, listen, I think, you know, what they're doing is not brand new. I think, um, you know, in in terms of sort of prefetching of email images, this was something that Gmail did as long ago as 2013. Um, You know, Yahoo did it a little bit more recently, sort of end of 17, early 18. So it's not like a total shock for email marketers. The major difference is that with Apple prefetching the images at the time that the email is delivered, basically means that you know, as as, as we've just discussed, that open rates are going to be sort of artificially inflated. Whereas you know, with your Gmail subscribers, um, it's still correctly recorded at the time of open um, when, when that email is downloaded. So. It's possible to extract that data. I think um, it's also important to understand that you know this isn't just a an open rate conversation. I think uh, the open rate metric is actually used to drive a number of email best practices. So, if you think about something like recency management, you know how active is your email subscriber? You know, are they active? Are they less active? Are they dormant? And, you know, that kind of metric has traditionally been informed by the um, open rate activity. And responsible senders have used that to inform things like their recency management. So at what stage do they say, hey, wait a second, the subscriber is becoming less engaged. Let's scale down the number of emails that they receive from us. So, you know, perhaps they previously received emails twice a week, scale it down to once a week. When they get to completely dormant status, that could be used as the opportunity to try and re-engage them, you know, with one of those sort of final, hey, we miss you, let us know if you want to carry on hearing from us emails, but then mm-hmm. sort of, com- you know, proactively unsubscribing them if they don't respond. So, you know, all, all, all of those are sort of email best practices, you know, which are aimed at, you know, hopefully an enhanced subscriber experience, which are going to become a little bit harder to deliver. Um, I think, you know, at a technical level, sort of functionality like countdown timers, for example, aren't necessarily going to be correct because the image is being pulled at the time the email was delivered rather than the time the consumer's engaging with it. So, you know, these are some of the, um, you know, some of the other impacts that we're expecting to see from what's happened. I didn't even realize the countdown, you know, timers um, work like that from at a, you know, at a tech level. Right. So, what what are you doing um, a validity to, to 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 make up for this data loss? It's it's significant. Um, it's it's hindering um, you know um, just performance. It's it's hindering 
the ability to, to, to optimize, you know, your list, to clean up your list, to, to understand segments, you know, better. Um, and um, I, I guess the, the only metric available now is, you know, click rate. So with click rate, um, what, 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 you, what can you do with, with click rate data? And what do you anticipate the next two or maybe even three quarters to, to look like, you know, for, for email marketers, particularly in e-commerce businesses, because the audience here are, you know, pretty much um, D2C e-commerce operators mm. and um, e-commerce teams. So that's a big question. I'm going to break it down into a couple of pieces as, as we respond to it. Okay. So I think in terms of, you know, cer- certainly from a lot of the major email marketers that I speak to on a sort of daily and weekly basis, I think, you know, there's an acceptance that, you know, moving towards greater use of, click rate as the metric is probably going to be you know, part of how they respond to MPP. And, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think, um, you know, click rate is probably a more reliable metric than open rates have been. And I think, you know, that's a comment worth making as well. I think, um, you know, we, we, we talk about open rate being a a useful metric, but I think a lot of email marketers have recognized that, you know, especially over the last few years, it also carries some flaws. You know, I think, um, you know, we talked about prefetching of images, image caching. There's also other factors that, you know, some email clients will automatically enable or disable images, which can skew the reporting. And then you've also got factors like, you know, spam filtering, where the spam filters actually test a lot of the emails by opening them and perhaps even sort of clicking on some of the links, um, you know, for security reasons. We even see high levels with some programs of bot-driven signups, you know, where, you know, sort of non-humans are signing up with email programs. And all of those are factors, you know, which skew open rates. So there's probably an argument that sort of moving towards more reliable metrics like clicks and other metrics further downstream, conversions, website visits, etc. It's not a bad thing. Um, I think one challenge for marketers is that if you start using clicks rather than opens for split testing, for example, you know, you're going to be working off a smaller data set. So how confident can you be statistically with the results? And you know, what, what we've been saying to some of our customers is that, you know, where you're using split testing and using the open rate to measure the winning version, which you then apply to the rest of your audience, and perhaps the sort of typical split is you, you select 5% for version A and 5% for version B, and then take the winning version and apply it to the other 90%. To have that same level of confidence in the result, it may be, you know, based on clicks that you're going to say, right, test A has to be 10% of the audience, 10% to test B, and then the, 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 the winning version to the other 80%, for example. So, yeah. um, you know, the, 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 those could be some of the, um, you know, the considerations of moving to other data points. But I think um, it's not just about, you know, sort of, thinking about, you know, th- th- those other traditional email metrics within the conversion funnel. I think there's an opportunity to look outside of that as well. And I think, you know, one which, or two, should I say, which are close to our heart at Validity is thinking about your sender reputation metrics, for example. So, you know, sender reputation is basically, it's almost like a credit score for email marketers. And it's an indication of how the major mailbox providers like Gmail, Outlook, see you as a sender. 
And yeah. um, reputation gets made up of a variety of, you know, sort of core elements, um, you know, which include data quality, spam complaints, um, authentication that you have set up, so like your SPFs and your DKIMs. But a key part of reputation is also subscriber engagement. And of course, the mailbox providers can see this because they've got a front row view of, you know, which subscribers are opening their emails and which aren't. And, you know, they're not relying on pixel tracking to, to see that, you know, they know what's going right. on in their inboxes. So if you work on the hypothesis that, you know, at least part of sender reputation is informed by subscriber engagement, then if, you set, if your reputation's going up, it's a good indicator. You, you, you're generating positive engagement and you're sending out some signals that the mailbox providers like. If your sender reputation right. score's going down, it's the opposite. Um, and then the other part of that, you know, as, as a business, when we talk about deliverability, we're talking about inbox placement rates. So whereas a lot of the ESPs tend to talk about deliverability as a bounce metric, you know, we, we, we send 100 emails, 99 of them, um, or should I say one of them delivers a, a hard bounce, and therefore your deliverability is 99% because the rest of them were accepted. That's part of it. But we're also thinking about what percentage of those accepted emails ended up in their subscribers' inboxes, you know, rather than going to their, their spam folder or their junk folder. And, uh, you know, typically that number's a bit smaller. You know, in, in the UK, um, inbox placement rate benchmarks around about 87 88%, which it's okay. But it basically means that, you know, for every eight emails you send, seven in the inbox, one in the junk folder. And... Yeah. Inbox placement rates, you know, it sort of ties into that reputation conversation. Um, they are also informed by, you know, the levels of engagement which the mailbox providers see. So if you take your inbox placement rate reporting, and again, you know, if it's trending up, that's probably a good sign. You're generating positive engagement. If it's trending downwards, that's a bad sign. You're generating mm. negative engagement. So, you know, the, the, there's all of that. I think the... You know, the other thing which we're thinking about at the moment is that if you accept that open rates have been, you know, a, a reasonably useful measure of engagement and, you know, now for Apple users, it's going to become less useful. Uh, you know, perhaps the conversation is not only about how do we measure engagement, it's almost, you know, how do you bake engagement into your program in a better way so that you know it's happening in the first place and you know is there right. anything that you can change to your um you know your acquisition practices so that you're almost priming the pump if you will you know sort of you know bringing subscribers into your engagement into your program who are more likely to engage in the first place and um you know i think there's two things going on there i think um you know the one you know particularly on the acquisition side um, you know, we, we, we've done some research in collaboration with the DMA that shows that the use of e-receipts, for example, is highly, highly popular, uh, a highly, highly effective way of bringing subs you know primed subscribers into your program. And mm -hmm. I think you know, particularly in the retail space, you know, you look at brands that already do this well. So you're looking at the likes of you know Halfords and and Boots and um, and uh, Debenhams and um, what we've learned is Apple that, too. Absolutely. So, yeah. What what we've learned is, you know, not only is it an effective list builder, but sort of new subscribers who come in through that route 
typically tend to be sort of email power users in the first instance. You know, they're, they're yeah. more likely to be engaged with the channel. Um, they're also sort of more likely to be engaged with, um, you know, loyalty initiatives. You know, they come in yeah. sort of primed for loyalty. So yeah. there's some really strong arguments that, you know, if you're, a, if you're in the retail space and, you know, you're not doing that at the moment, um, it's probably a real win to, you know, sort of get those sort of in-store, would you like to receive an e-receipt e- e- initiatives yeah. in place. Um I'll end the stream of consciousness in a second, but I think the other thing that we've been talking about a lot, um, it's almost become the new buzzword, you know, sort of zero party data and what does it mean? But I think, you know, MPP has thrown into relief that a lot of sort of customer behaviors, which you could infer from what they were doing with their emails, you know, that if they opened the email, you know, that that they were more likely to be interested in a specific offer or a specific product or more receptive at a certain time of day. Um, Some of those insights are going away. How, How do you solve for that? Well, one answer is asking your customers, you know, hey, you know, if we can't infer from pixel tracking what device you're using and, um, you know, where you live, are you willing to tell us? And, um, you know, there's an argument that sort of taking that approach is going to result in higher quality data anyway, because instead of inferring it, you know, it's coming from, you know, directly from the source, so to speak. But, But I think it's also going to you know, force marketers to up their game a little bit because, you know, you can't yeah. just say, hey, you know, tell us where you live. You've got to provide a good reason for why you're asking for that data and yeah. uh, explaining how you're going to use it. And perhaps most importantly, how's your customer going to benefit? You know, what are they yeah. going to get out of it? And yeah. I think the marketers that get that right are the ones that are going to sort of strike a really strong, you know, sort of value transaction with their customers. And they're the ones that are going to benefit from what's happening here. Let's take this quick break to hear from our sponsors. Let's take a quick break to talk about screwing up. Accidents happen. Perhaps you installed an app that messed up your theme or a CSV import completely messed up your product catalog. Common myth, cloud-based e-commerce platforms like Shopify and BigCommerce have automatic backup solutions you can use when something goes wrong with your store. This is simply untrue. They don't. Myth busted. So what do you do? You use Rewind. Rewind will protect Shopify and big commerce stores with automatic backups. Rewind should be the first app you install to protect your store against human error, misbehaving apps, or collaborators gone bad. It's like having your very own magic undo button. Rewind is trusted by over 25,000 businesses from side hustles to the biggest retail brands you can think of. Gymshark, Movement Watches and Pampers all use Rewind for automatic backups. So here's the deal for 2Xs. If you head over to rewind.io, which is R-E-W-I-N-D.io, install Rewind, you'll get to use it for free for seven days. If you reach out to the Rewind team and mention the 2X e-commerce podcast, that extend your seven-day trial for a full month for free. Enjoy peace of mind with Rewind backups. Remember to head over to rewind.io and don't forget to mention the 2X e-commerce podcast for a full month trial.
Did you know that loyal customers are nine times more likely to convert compared to a first-time shopper? That's why exceptional customer service is so important for your retention and growth. I recommend using Gorgeous, the leading help desk for Shopify, Magento, and big commerce merchants. Gorgeous combines all your communication channels, including email, SMS, social media, live chat, and phone into one platform. This saves your team hours per day and makes managing customer orders a breeze. It also integrates seamlessly with your existing tech stack so you can access customer information and even edit, return, refund, or create an order right from your help desk. To learn more, go to gorgeous.com. That's G-O-R-G-I-A-S.com and mention 2X e-commerce podcast for two months free. That is gorgeous.com for two months free. Just mention 2X e-commerce. Yeah, I'm, I'm all for zero party data, but um, a lot of uh, a lot of parties seem to be promoting it as this silver bullet. And I, I, I really don't think so. I, I think behavioral metrics are different from profile enrichment, right? So um, getting data as to what people did at a particular moment and then you reorganize, you know, dynamically um, ass- assessing or triggering actions based on that action is golden. And the fact that behavioral metrics are being stripped from us I don't know. It, it's it, it would partially help the situation, but marketing is going to change fundamentally, um, particularly email marketing. There's just no way around it. But just circling into my earlier question around clients, because there was an intention around that, was could we infer, um, could we segment right um, email clients based on non-Apple, you know, users, non-Apple, non-Apple male clients, and still do what we used to do in order to make decisions, particularly A-B split test, for instance. The, the, the short answer is absolutely, and you're, you're, you're spot on. I think, you know, we've been quite focused on, you know, what, are, what, what is the implication of Apple introducing MPP? And, you know, the question that you asked early was an important one, you know, what percentage of subscribers is it going to impact? And, you know, we said, you know, typically anything up to 40%, which is a big number. But as you've just alluded to, you know, the flip side of that coin is that there's, you know, 60% of your audience who isn't impacted and they're going to continue generating the same high quality behavioral data that's been available up to this point. And, you know, which marketers can you know, learn from and apply to the, to, to the, all of their customers, you know, perhaps even the, um, you know, the Apple using subset that they aren't getting that data from. So I think, you know, when, when you asked earlier, you know, is, is this going to be a huge thing? And, I, and, and my answer was, you know, it, there's going to be a not insignificant impact, but it's also not Armageddon for email. You know, that, that's the major, the major reason. You know, there's still going to be strong signals coming from that 60% plus of a typical email list, um, you know, which aren't subject to MPP. Right. And um, just to confirm, we will get, obviously, because we get click data, we, from, from that, we should accurately track, be able to track um, 
um, you know, sales, you know, just transactional data, I would think. Absolutely. And I think, you okay. know, that's perhaps, you know, a key part of the the conversation, you know, sort of being able to track open rates is just one part of that journey, you know, to making a purchase. And, um, you know, I think by, by, by embracing all of the other data points that we've been talking about in this conversation, you know, ultimately what's the intention of most marketing programs you know especially in the retail space is to get people to visit your website and buy your products and um, right. you know i think if you if you're continuing to achieve that then you know you're in a good place i think you know we've also been thinking as a business and um even with clicks i think um you know we've we, we, we talk about the, the DMA research, which we produced with the council. And um, one of the questions which was asked in one of the reports we produced this week, uh, this year, should I say, of consumers is, you know, you receive an interesting marketing email. You intend to respond in some way to that email. What's your next action? And, um, you know, interestingly, around 25% of respondents said, will click through to go visit the website, mm. um, which is okay. But a similar number said, hey, you know, we'll absolutely respond, but in a different way, you know, where that response might be, you know, we'll phone their customer service team. Um, if they're a bricks and mortar store, we'll just go and visit that store straight away. Or mm. softer actions, you know, we'll, we'll read a, a product review, you know, we'll go and have a look at what people are saying about them in their social media channels. Mm. And, you know, all of those are alternate forms of response. And, um, you know, it really got us thinking, because I think, you know, we, we talk about, you know, clicks being such a solid and reliable metric, and they are, but they don't necessarily tell the whole picture. And I think, mm. um, you know, perhaps something that email marketers need to get a lot better at, you know, they tend to be mm. very, very focused on making sure that, you know, you've got that prominent CTA, you know, that click here button clearly visible. Mm -hmm. But, you know, perhaps you should be servicing some of those other response routes as well. And, you know, making mm. sure that you've got a prominent phone number for your customer service team up in the email header, not buried down mm. in the email footer, for example, because if that's mm. how a significant proportion of your customers want to respond, take away the friction, make it easy for them to do so. Hmm. Makes a lot of sense. There, there also seems to be a resurgence of, um, of, of SMS marketing. Um, it, it's, it's obviously fired up with behavioral data um, and, you know, customer profiles and, and rich, you know, customer profiles and, um, you know, some proponents, you know, everybody has um, vested interest in, in the conversation, seem to um, suggest that SMS is the new email. Would you agree, Guy? I actually would up to up to a point. I think, um, you know, we, we <laughs> because of what we do as a business, it's easy for me to be sort of very focused on, you know, email as my preferred channel. But you know, I think um, email has a an important place to play as part of an omnichannel strategy, and um, you know, SMS and a lot of the other channels, you know, all you know play important roles in 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 a joined up marketing strategy. And I think it's it's a question of 
what do your customers want and where do they see the value? And I think, you know, where SMS comes into play, for example, is that typically a lot of those notifications are generated in real time, for example. So when, when that message arrives, um, you know, in, in your mobile inbox, it's going to be effective because you're primed to have that next step of the conversation. It's the same, you know, it's the same reason that email basket abandonment email as are effective. You know, you're, you're, there's already a half formed in, you know, intent to do that next step. And, you know, the message is reinforcing that. It's just sort of helping to nudge you along that journey. And, um, you know, I, th- I, I think, you know, sort of consumers value SMS messages for that. You know, they're time specific and they're, they're, they're relevant because of that. And, um, you know, it was interesting, you know, we, we definitely saw last year that there was a a slight shift in terms of the way that sort of consumers were engaging with channels, and um, there was a definite sense that you know they they were tending to sort of favour the ones where there was some kind of direct interaction going on, and even you know the sort of phone channel, um, you know I know it has a a bad reputation because loads of spam mm-hmm. calls, but the 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 legitimate calls were were popular, and I think you know during a time where a lot of the country was sort of locked down and sort of opportunities for personal interaction were just so massively yeah. reduced you know yeah. the channels that could compensate for that a little bit actually yeah. did well you know they, yeah, they, they were sort of perhaps slightly unintentionally you know sort of filling yeah. a need and it yeah. wasn't just um, a marketing I want, need yeah I, I want to get the new iphone and um i'm <clears throat> i was chatting on iMessenger with support and that just want to get the blue one and it's nowhere to be found and that interaction, direct interaction, because on-site chats a bit can be can be a bit clunky, you know, sometimes. But given the fact that um, you know the the SMS, um, you know, the or iMessenger is quite native to the platform, um, it just it's the perfect avenue for conversational commerce. And we're, we've also had some people on the podcast, um, or some some brands on the podcast, or services rather on the podcast that um, offer a um, support team behind SMS responses from clients, from your, from your, from your customers. So in the event that your customers decide to use SMS as a channel to, to reach out to you for help, um, they have well, well-trained staff essentially to, to cater to their needs. And the, you know, the, the few of these companies popping up here and there. And I just think it's the perfect sort of channel to, to, to get intimate. It's got the brevity. It's got the privacy, um, it's got the intimacy, and it's got conversation, you know, in it, all wrapped in, in one. And yeah, th- that, that is the <laughs> consensus, you know, amongst um, a few people in the direct-to-consumer e-commerce space. But, you know. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, absolutely on the same page there. Right. Um, just wrapping up um, with, um, with, with, with all of this, um, I want to kind of, so what will analytics from Validity's standpoint look like in the next one year? Um, the metrics have fundamentally changed. Would you have, you know, separate dashboards for, for like Apple versus non-Apple? Um, 
what does it even look like now from an from an analytics standpoint? Because you, you talked about deliverability, had bounces. You talked about you know um, inboxes. You know um, when they get into the inbox, whether they, they they get into spam or inbox. You probably even do the Gmail tab um, reporting. Um, so so what would it look like now? Would would there be more of a focus on you know clients such as Gmail? Because I personally use the Gmail app. Um, you know on because the user experience for Apple for me is is terrible but but my wife who's not as technical as me just defaults to what Apple has presented to her which is Apple Mail which I guess would apply to the vast majority of Apple users um, but what, what would it look like it, it, it's a great question and uh, you know personally I'm a Gmail fan as well I think um, you know they you know, the, the, there's a reason that they are so popular around the world. And I think it's you know, not just that they come sort of pre-installed on so many handsets, but, you know, they, they do a good job with that user experience and, you know, with the functionality. And, uh, you know, if the, if the sort of acid test is, you know, do they make my life engaging with emails easier? Absolutely. So, uh, you know, so I'm going to use them. What does it mean in terms of validity um, analytics? Um, the good news is that, Particularly, you know, sort of coming back to the MPP conversation, we've actually already upgraded our dashboard to reflect that. And, you know, we've now got, um, you know, split out reporting so that you can see in a very easy, um, you know, to understand way the differences between the reporting that's coming from Apple versus the reporting that's coming from mm-hmm. Gmail users versus Yahoo users and the others. Um, we're also sort of categorizing those insights to sort of help um, you know, our audience understand, you know, so are those automatically generated fires? Are they real pixel fires that, you know, you can mm-hmm. use as, as accurate behavioral information? Um, mm-hmm. You know, can you tag those subscribers to sort of, you know, enable sort of more accurate segmentation um, mm-hmm. of your Apple users. So, you know, we, we, we've introduced all of that into our reporting already. Interesting. Um, okay. And actually got some very positive feedback from our customers, which is really nice. I think, you know, they've mm. given us a pat on the back and said, mm. you know, very pleased to see you guys being so proactive, mm. um, you know, dealing with this. And, you know, in a lot of cases saying it's almost that their ESP is still sitting on their hands a little bit and taking a wait and see approach and uh, you know sort of appreciative that you know we've been more proactive there and I think um, you know there's probably also some opportunities which you know we've got to embrace as well because you know we've talked a little bit about MPP making marketers life harder but there's also going to be you know more than a few positives coming out of it I think you know the one for example is that yes um you know, it's going to fire a load more pixels irrespective of whether the email got opened or not. But it does provide a, a very solid signal that the Apple Mail account exists and is yeah. active. So, you know, from a deliverability point of view, that's a great data point that, you know, we'll be feeding into our solutions. Mm. Um, Conversely, the fact that, you know, from the testing we've done, we've seen that if an email gets delivered into an Apple Mail user's junk folder, the pixel doesn't fire. So it's not, you know, that's not the only reason that that happens, but it does give us a good signal that if the pixel doesn't fire, um, there's quite a high likelihood that it's, uh, you know, a signal of junk folder placement. So, you know, we are thinking about this, that, you know, there's, you know, some positive data points coming out of this and, you know, we're going to be able to feed those into our analytics and our reporting to, um, Mm -hmm. you know, to help our customers. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're excited about that. 
Interesting. Really, really, really good stuff. Um, one question um, I, I, I actually forgot to ask you at the start of this conversation was um, at what sort of contact data size, you know, data set size um, do customers start to become attractive to validity? What kind of client, what, you know, what's, what, yeah. What's, what size of emails are we talking about? Are we talking um, in the in the millions, in the tens of millions, or um, in in the single digit millions? So, you know, I, I would almost sort of hate to compartmentalize ourselves by sort of giving you a specific number. I mean, you're absolutely right that you know, by and large, what we do, it does, you know, it, it, it lends itself to those higher volume programs and you sort of, you know, named some of them earlier on. And, uh, you know, we, we certainly do work with businesses like that all around the world. But I think, you know, it's also a question of sort of thinking about what is the value of an email program to a business? And, you know, mm. there's plenty of examples of smaller email programs where, you know, perhaps sort of monthly volumes might even be right down in the sort of, you know, tens of thousands or low hundred thousands. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for whom email performs an extremely valuable role, um, mm-hmm. you know, we, we were sort of working with a, a furnishing business a while back and, um, you know, they didn't send out a huge amount of emails, but every time their email generated a conversion to sale, it was worth £2,000 to them. So, um, yeah, I think that the, the, there's at least a part of that, you know. Yes, you know, part of it is volume based, but a part of it is value based, and there's, you know, some middle ground where the, those two bits overlap, um, and you know that's where we do business. Brilliant, 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 um, Guy Hanton. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the Two X Commerce Podcast Show. For those who want to check out Validity, it's um, v a l i d i t y dot com. Um, any other contacts you'd like to share with with our listeners? Well, I think just to say that um, you know you'll you'll find me on LinkedIn, and uh, if we're not connected already, send me a request. I'd love to carry on the conversation. I'll do that right now. All right, cheers. Thank you. Been Bye. a real pleasure. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode of 2X e-commerce. We encourage you to connect with our community of 2X e-commerce listeners on our Facebook group, e-commerce growth accelerator mastermind. Just search for 2X e-commerce on Facebook to find it. Answer three questions and you'll be approved. Grab the show notes of this episode on our website, 2xecommerce.com. Finally, if you haven't already, give the show a review on your podcasting app. Catch you on the next show and keep growing.